We can have some science that's behind all of this technology so that we know exactly what we're doing and, and uh, why we're seeing the responses that we're seeing. I know as clinicians, the bottom line is clinical response. If we see a clinical response that's good with safety and efficacy or safety and no side effects, um, that's a good thing for us. And, and uh, certainly it's nice to have some of the background science so that when we're explaining this to first-time users or you know, the, the clients especially, that we have some of that confidence behind us knowing that there's, there's incredible science. And I will tell you this, and I said this, if you're new to this and you haven't heard me speak before, that as I go around the world, I, I always tell people this, and it's so true, that if I had written a book about stem cell technology two years ago, it would be obsolete today. That's how fast this is changing. Things that we thought were true two years ago, we're finding out, um, are just not true. So it's a, um, we're just learning more about it, which is good, and I expect that to happen um, a lot. So as we go forward in this, I think we'll learn together, and, and, uh, and I'll share new science as it comes up. I'm really excited. I'm going to be at the North American Veterinary Conference this year speaking and also at the, uh, the Western Veterinary Conference. So if you're attending that, I'll be bringing even new science to that um, as we get it ready for publication. So um, real exciting stuff that's happening in the stem cell world, and I'm very proud to be part of this and very uh, proud to share this with colleagues like you. As always, I will open this up to questions and answers, but as I go through the science, I think it's going to be a little bit easier if I wait till the end, if you don't mind, before I get to the questions and answers. Because this is the first day that I'm doing that, I'd like to just open up for questions right here at the beginning in case you were just jumping on to get a question in, because that's typically what I have done. But going forward, I probably won't be doing that. We'll probably be going after the, or going over the, the presentation first and then doing questions and answers at the end because these presentations are geared to answer a lot of questions. And, uh, and I think it will be very, very helpful for, for all of us. I mean, it helped me to learn this uh, before I started using this um, science. So, um, but let me open it up to questions just very quickly. I was asked not to do that, but I want to do that just as a courtesy to, to all of you, because if you jumped on expecting to get a question, then I want to, I want to give you your chance. So um, otherwise, I'll get to them as soon as I'm done with this presentation which will probably take about 35 minutes. Um, so any questions before I get started? Here's one that just got typed into me. It says, got a question for your dad tonight. This was written to my daughter. A new clinic wants to know if it is possible to use only stem cells when treating a bulging disc, or should the bulge always be treated surgically? Um, you know, good question that I don't really know the best answer for. Um, when we talk about a bulging disc, if we have that mechanical issue, that, that disc that's putting pressure on a spinal nerve or worse yet on the spinal cord directly, um, that mechanical issue probably should be relieved first. And I know that there's a lot of different theories about that. There's a lot of different trains of thought. Um, I've been a vet 26 years, and, and I believe that when those dogs are in trouble, um, surgery is probably the best emergency procedure that could be done to relieve that pressure. I think that's even true on the humans. Um, but there are a lot of people who disagree with what I just said. They, they think that um, acupuncture and, and herbal remedies and anti-inflammatories can be used that might medically help relieve that inflammation and pressure against the, relieve the bulge a bit against the spinal nerves. So I'm not going to pass judgment on that. I told you what my opinion is on that. Will stem cells help a bulging disc? My opinion is based on everything that I've seen is absolutely, because it not only has a very potent anti-inflammatory property when we add these stromal cells to an area, it also has the ability to reduce scar tissue and scar formation. 
So it has that immunosuppressive role as well. So in a, in a disc area, what they've done in humans is they've taken discs that were bulged. They went into those areas and those discs um, and, and injected stem cells, adipose-derived stem cells, right into that, that disc where, that was actually completely um, collapsed on the MRIs where they could see that it was, um, there was movement of the, of the actual vertebrae um, because the disc area was collapsed. So, of course, there's, there's that malformation that comes after that. So they injected adipose-derived stem cells directly into that disc, and what they found is that it was very painful for the patient for the next few weeks because they rehydrated that disc, and obviously that adds new pressures because um, as that moved previously, I guess, um, when they filled it back up, it just created some pressure that was painful. But they were able to alleviate that with painkillers, and then a year later when they went back and they took MRIs of those same discs, um, those patients by six months were completely pain-free. They were functioning, or that patient, I should say, it wasn't patients, it was one patient, was functioning normally. This was a human. And I saw this presentation at the IFATS meeting up in Quebec City in October. And, uh, and that patient was um, pain-free. And the disc was not only normal in appearance on the MRI, the discs around it that usually move after a year or two um, still appeared normal, the same width that you'd expect with that disc space. So there is rationale for using these cells in, in uh, IVDD, in the intervertebral disc disease. But um, would I use it on a bulging disc if that animal was showing neurologic deficits and it was an acute episode? I don't think so. If it were a chronic episode and the dog still had neurologic function, um, compassionately, I, I would try it. But then you have to be able to deliver those discs into the intervertebral disc space or in the area very close to it. And uh, because there hasn't been enough research done on that, to my knowledge, I don't know that it's going to work, and uh, and so that's something that would have to be explained to that owner, and uh, certainly I'd like to see trials on that down the road, and uh, and I'm sure that that will happen, and we'll be able to have better answers for that because they'll do them um, near the parabulge, you know, near the area of the bulge, they'll do them into the bulge, and uh, and they'll do them into the veins and see if um, see what happens and see what protocols work the best. But right now, we don't have any research projects that are working on that specifically, at least Medivet America doesn't right now. So I'm sure that will follow, but we're working on the more prevalent problems that we see that we expect to see um, some response to, and, and uh, it's just a money thing. It costs a lot of money to do these studies, so they are looking to a board of us veterinarians and saying, and clinicians and researchers and saying, which ones do you think would be the best ones to spend money on first? And IVDD hasn't been one of those diseases yet. So I know it's on the list and it will come, but it's, we just haven't done it yet. Hope that helps. Um, anybody else have a question before I get into the science? Okay. I'm going to start. Hopefully you can see this um, slide that's up there that says MetaVet America. If somebody's on, could you just write to me and let me know that you can see this? I want to make sure I'm not talking. I want you, if you're on the web, you should be able to see this. You will get benefit from this. Okay, yes, thank you, um, doctor. The, uh, you'll get benefit if you're just listening. But in these presentations, it would be helpful for you to see some of these slides. So if you're on the phone and you have access to a computer, you might want to log in, and uh, you can see what I'm talking about as well. Um, thanks, <laughs> Dr. Berger. He sees it. All right, now let's see if I can get this to work. Well, the stem cells, as we talk about them, Regenerative medicine is a new paradigm. I think we all know that. Um, it's a new way of thinking. It's a new tool that we have in our arsenal. They're using these stem cells all over the world. They're doing research all over the world, not just in the United States, 
but just about every corner of the earth. The only continent that I haven't been on to, to vouch for research is Antarctica. But the other six continents, I can, I can vouch that they're doing stem cell research. So we start off with what, it, what is a stem cell? Well, basically, it's just a repair cell. It's a repair cell that's in the body, and it has the ability to do one of two things. It can either um, replicate and, uh, and produce more stem cells, or it can dif differentiate into another um, cell type. And that's, both of those properties are very important to uh, repairing and regenerating um, areas. And so we're, we know if we can do both those things that it can be a stem cell. Now, the sources are anywhere in the body. We've talked about this a lot. You can pick a, a stem cell out of brain, heart muscle, tendons, ligaments. The, probably every tissue has stem cells. But the good news is, and we're using fat, you've heard of embryonic stem cells, you've heard of bone marrow stem cells, but you could go into the liver and get a liver stem cell. And, uh, but the reason that we like the fat, as you know, is that there's a lot of them, and it's real easy for us to get fat. Well, when we get an injury, Immune cells will come and clear out the debris and, and, uh, and try to, you know, ward off any infection. And then it will try to repair one of two ways, either through regeneration or through scar tissue. And, and that's what our body does. You know, our body knows how to heal a cut, fortunately. And, uh, but if we have, you hear about younger people having um, a smaller scar after a wound, if they get a cut on their head, that's because they have um, it's, uh, some, like an 8-year-old child might have 95 million circulating uh, stem cells in their peripheral blood at any given time, where a 72-year-old man might have 18 million. So that child is going to, um, he, it's good, the balance is going to tip in favor of regeneration. So you're going to get a smaller scar. You're going to get more of that tissue regenerating rather than forming scar tissue. And that older man, it's going to take longer because they don't have as many repair cells. And it's going to be tipped in favor of scar tissue. So you're going to get a bigger scar. And it's going to take longer to heal. And I think that just makes sense. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to tip that, that balance in favor of regeneration by injecting these cells into a microenvironment, like a damaged knee or damaged tendon, and, uh, and in, inject a lot of those repair cells into that area and hopefully tip that balance in favor of regeneration and, uh, and quicker and better healing. So we know that they can, as I said, they can uh, um, regenerate by differentiating into this new functional cell. So if you have a damaged heart muscle, for instance, um, you have an infarct after a heart attack, if we could get a stem cell to turn into heart muscle, we could literally repair that infarct. And that's being done, if you're following the literature, um, that's been shown in several studies that that is precisely what can happen. So, um, but enable to be able to uh, give more, to give enough of these stem cells for our body, they have to constantly be replenishing themselves and, and differentiating into new stem cells. And, um, and thank goodness that's what our body does. So we know that there's small numbers present in most tissues. We know after an injury something happens, um, or hopefully happens, that will activate these cells after that injury so that we go to that area and start to regenerate. And, uh, and then we also know that as you get older, we have less stem cells, and that probably is true in animals as well. So this is the only part about the um, embryology, if you will. We go back to the ectoderm, the mesoderm, the endoderm that I'll talk about. But I think it's really neat. If you see the picture, it shows that these mesenchymal stem cells, they come from the mesoderm. And so that's the cartilage, the connective tissue, the fat, and the bone. And we used to think, and where those solid lines are, we used to think that these mesenchymal stem cells could only differentiate into the same lineage. But as you see those dotted lines crossing over into the ectoderm and into the endoderm, we now have proven, and, and I say we, the, the, the community, 
because I consider this one science or one medicine now, the community has now proven that these mesenchymal stem cells can transdifferentiate into different germ layers. So we can get a mesenchymal stem cell from fat, for instance, and it can turn into a neuron or an epithelial cell or a gut cell or a lung cell or a muscle cell or a heart cell. That's pretty cool. So now we know that they have this, this, um, this potency, which is their, their ability to differentiate, if you will, and it's multipotent. It can, it can cross germ layer lines. So now when we isolate these, we can do the bone marrow, we can do adipose lung like we talked about. You've heard of placenta and cord cells, blood cells, teeth, the dental pulp has cells. So the most promising results that we're seeing in the literature is from bone marrow and adipose. You've heard about the embryonic stem cells, but when I say, um, yeah, there's a lot of research going on with embryonic stem cells, but it's not that promising yet. They're not curing anything yet. You might hear of a few things, but they're still not able to stop it from turning into a, um, for instance, uh, if it's going in to repair damaged heart, that, germ or that uh, embryonic cell may decide to turn into a teratoma, and nobody can control that yet, and that would be a horrible outcome. So we want to use something that hasn't, shown that ability to turn into a teratoma, and that's what we're seeing with these adult stem cells, um, specifically from bone marrow and fat. So there's a lot of therapeutic uses of these adult stem cells, a lot of clinical trials going on. I talk about these weekly, cardiac tissues, post-ischemia, diabetes, osteoarthritis, tendons, sepsis, graft-versus-host disease, um, perianal fistulas and Crohn's disease. I talk about a number of these things, um, allergies, atopy. Um, the autoimmune disease is pretty neat stuff, and a lot of trials are being done on this. Um, this particular study that I'm showing here is showing the cartilage on um, some, this was a, a large animal model on some postmenopausal ewes. Um, they didn't want the, I guess they didn't want the hormones affecting the ligaments, so they waited to their postmenopausal. They went in and they cut the, uh, the, they removed the medial meniscus and they cut the ACL ligament, and then they let them, um, roam freely, I guess you will, in a, in a um, kind of like they're walking up hills. I think they did this with air chambers and mimic the, the pressure that would be to walk up a hill. And th they ended up 30 days later going in and scoping these knees and found that they all had osteoarthritis. That was no surprise. So they injected them with 10 million mesenchymal stem cells. And then after about, I believe, I said, here it says after three months, but I think it was like 128 days or 130 days, 138 days, I don't really remember. They they sacrificed these ewes, and they went in and looked at these knees. And what they found is that there was significantly greater thickness of joint cartilage in the areas where they injected the mesenchymal stem cells. Obviously, they did controls, and the controls, they injected hyaluronic acid. They just injected HA into it. So in comparing them, they found that they had thicker joint cartilage, reduced cartilage breakdown, and greater biomechanical strength, up to 25% of the native cartilage, which was pretty cool and that was compared with those control joints just receiving the HA. They also, which was um, unique, is they found that some of these stifles were regrowing the meniscus with the facet attachments from on the um, femoral side and on the tibial side were growing in the right places. Now, you and I, at least me, back in 1986 when I graduated from vet school, we were taught that once that meniscus is injured, you're not going to be able to regrow it, you're not going to be able to help it, you're just going to get scar tissue. And I know there's been a lot of orthopedists that said they've been back in the joints later on in life and said, yeah, some of those meniscus have, had grown back, but it was fibrous meniscus. It wasn't native meniscus. Well, they did histopathology on these, and these were native meniscus. In other words, when I say native meniscus, I guess that's not true. But they, were, um, they had the right makeup of a meniscus. 
and so did the cartilage. They had the proteoglycans, the collagen one, collagen two, in, in the right ratios. So that was pretty neat. So we were actually seeing regeneration. And they're now doing a study. I share this with people. They're doing a study at USC. I think it's done now. I thought I was going to hear some results in December, and I didn't yet. But they did 50 post-meniscotomy, partial meniscotomy patients, human patients, um, 50 of them. They injected 10 million mesenchymal stem cells and uh, are waiting to see the results. Now, obviously, they're going to use MRIs, and, and uh, I, I don't even know if they're going to use scopes. I think they're going to use special imaging on MRIs. But it's a, I'm pretty anxious to hear the results of that. And the reason they're doing that on the humans is because of that study that was done on, on animals. And uh, so it's, uh, it is starting to translate now. We're starting to see some translational research. So the actions of these MSCs, of these mesenchymal stem cells, they have the ability to migrate to the site of injury. So we get an injury, something happens, some factors or distressor signals are sent out, and these stem cells wake up and start to head towards that injury, and, and, uh, and they seem to go pretty quickly. And, uh, and then when they get to that area, they can proliferate, they can start secreting things, and they also have the potential for this immunomodulatory effect. And when I talk about the immunomodulatory effect, it's pretty dramatic, and that can be both on the innate immune system or the adaptive immune system. In the innate immune system, when we talk about the, the gut level or the lung level, and then the adaptive immune system that, that the animals have developed, um, either or. And uh, that's pretty neat stuff. So they also have the ability to secrete things. There's this trophic support. And uh, things like connective tissue growth factor, VGF, vascular endothelial growth factor. That's pretty neat if we want to repair tissue. We probably need some new blood vessels to come to the area. And BMP to encourage development of bone and cartilage. Matrix production with the glycosaminoglycans, the GAG. And uh, things like that. So it's pretty neat. We, now I told you about the immunomodulation, and this is a very, very important thing that happens with these stem cells, and that has a lot of scientists excited around the world, is that this may mean that they're potentially useful in inflammatory disease, which we've already known, osteoarthritis being one inflammatory disease, um, acute diseases, myositis, you know, anything that, that causes pain and inflammation, um, we could theoretically use stem cells. Do we need to? I don't know, but theoretically we could use them. Autoimmune diseases, you know the amount of autoimmune diseases in animals. Um, I don't know if everybody had a chance, or you will if you haven't, in the next VPN um, magazine, I believe it's going to be distributed in uh, February, you're going to see a case that, that uh, I treated at my clinic with Atopy. And this dog was four and a half years old, and it was near um, euthanasia because the owners couldn't afford the treatment. As you see the pictures, you've had the cases. You probably have them in your practice where they're spending hundreds of dollars a month on treatments that aren't working. And the poor dogs are suffering, the owners are frustrated, and it, cha and it just makes life for the animal and the owners miserable. And, uh, and so we tried a compassionate use therapy with intravenous stem cells in 30 days. Right before Christmas, I did the 30-day recheck, which was part of the protocol. And when they came in, I took pictures in the same position, day one and day 30. And, uh, and I'll tell you that the owner, the wife, was hugging me and shaking and crying hard, uh, uh, tears of joy. And, and it was, it's your, your colleagues, you can only imagine that feeling. And it's, uh, you talk about a win-win-win for that animal, for that patient, and for me too. Um, but at any rate, that's thankfully due to the immunomodulatory effects of these mesochymal stem cells. They've been caught adaptogens. They have the ability to adapt what's believed is they have this ability to adapt to a hyperimmune system or a hypoimmune system, and that's pretty neat. 
And so we talk about graft-versus-host disease, transplant patients in humans, and uh, the ability to use stem cells that can prevent rejection. And uh, that's pretty neat. They used it in patients that were rejecting their organs. And that was with all the immunosuppressive drugs that they tried, the cyclosporines and the prograph and the different, you know, cocktails of drugs that they used to try to prevent, um, you know, a donated organ from rejecting. And, uh, and when they were failing, they went ahead and injected twice a week for four weeks um, intravenous mesenchymal stem cells. They used 2 million cells per kilogram body weight twice a week for four weeks. And I believe all but three of the 48 patients in the trial or 44 patients in the trial, um, it stopped the rejection. And uh, that's pretty neat. That's pretty life-changing for, for people. And those are studies that are going on. So we have um, lots of clear uh, examples of beneficial effects in laboratory species and, and what's going on in humans. And we're getting increasing evidence in veterinary species as well. Um, I've talked about these, these a lot, the intervertebral disc repair with Gaining Company in 2009. They took... 25% um, of L1, L2, and L3 out, the discs in between L1 and L2, L2 and L3, and L3 and L4. They, they took 25% of the discs out. In some of the dogs, they injected um, hyaluronic acid, and then the other dogs, they injected um, adiposterized stem cells. And the ones that have the adiposterized stem cells, they got to improve quality of regeneration. Um, it was actually regenerating the disc. And that's pretty neat. And that's why I get a lot of questions about the bulging discs and IVDD. Um, there were some studies that were done on that. But those were studies that removed part of the disc, and then they went in to um, see if we could regenerate more disc. And it was showing, yes, we could. So that's kind of neat for the future. Will we have to give them into those intervertebral disc spaces? I don't know. Right now I would say yes, we have to, but I don't know. Um, we just There's a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, obviously, it's been shown in elbow dysplasia, hip dysplasia, and we've shown that these are multipotent. Been shown in horses. Um, one of the things I had spoken to, I went out to Colorado and spoke with Dr. McElrath about um, different things, many things um, related to the stem cells, bone marrow and adipose derived stem cells. And uh, But one of the things that he uh, um, said to me is that he believes that these are probably one of the best treatments that he has seen for tendonitis injuries or tendon injuries in, in horses. And that's pretty dramatic coming from a guy, I think he's published more than 300 articles um, in his career. He's a very, very well-respected man, and I don't want to speak for him, but that was something he said to me. So I thought that was pretty neat. So we're seeing, you know, they, they injected collagenase into some of these tendons and created severe tendonitis and then saw improved quality of healing and, and, uh, and re-injury rates were significantly lower in some of these studies. There's a lot of these studies that are being repeated now because the early ones that were done with bone marrow, comparing them to stem cells or adipose, were done with an older technology of um, adipose-derived stem cells, and they just weren't seeing the results with the fat that we're seeing today. So now today, I believe that the stromal cells that we use are the best, period, better than the bone marrow, better than any of the other fat technologies out there. And, uh, and we're figuring out why that is. And uh, through some research, it's going to be published very shortly. It's actually done. And, uh, and I got to see the results, and it's going to be published for your use. I know I'm going to be able to present it at the um, NAVC this year. And, uh, and hopefully, it's. I think the January issue of VPN has it, it comes out under an advertorial from Dr. Don Cohen from the University of Kentucky. But that was research that was done. And it was just the format to get it in there. It had to be done under an advertorial. But you'll see when you read it that that was pretty good research that was done. And it was blinded to Dr. Cohen. So that's neat. But anyway, why fat? Well, it's easy to harvest, and we get a lot more cells when we use fat. 
when we use fat, we're getting um, on, on, you know, with a, you take a cup of peripheral blood. There, you get about 100,000 stem cells out of a cup of blood. You take a cup of bone marrow, you might get a million mesenchymal stem cells out of that bone marrow. So to get a therapeutic dose of, say, 5 or 10 million cells and, uh, of, of the mesenchymal stem cells, you have to culture that bone marrow, which takes time. And it adds risk because you have to now wait two, three, four weeks to culture more cells. And now the cells that you're culturing are second-generation cells. They're not first-generation. They didn't come from the bone marrow. They had to be cultured. So the second-generation, third-generation, fourth-generation are not as potent as the first-generation, and that's been shown in many studies. Well, with the fat, we're getting 2 to 3 billion cells out of these stromal vascular fractions um, in a cup of fat. So we're getting a lot more, so it's a richer source. We don't have to culture them. We can use first-generation cells. And, uh, and this stromal vascular fraction, the fat, when we digest the fat, we're using that whole fraction. They used to call it the lipoaspirates. We're not just using the stem cells themselves. We're using the pool of regenerative cells that go along with it. All of those bioactive peptides that um, are dramatically improving the responses that we're seeing clinically. And as you'll see in this new published research, um, why it's happening. A lot of things are being secreted by these cells, and they're working in harmony with each other to reduce scar tissue, reduce inflammation, and to regenerate. And uh, that's pretty neat, and uh, that's what we're going to see. Now, when we talk about the stromal vascular fraction, if you look at this slide here, when you're done with the digestion of the fat and the incubation, and we do the first centri centrifugal spin, if you will, this is what it looks like when you take it out. For those of you, you've seen this many times. You see it every time that you do this process. But if you haven't done this yet, this is what it looks like. The layer on top, that clear layer, that yellowish layer, is the fat. The layer in the middle, the white layer, is the connective tissue. A lot of uh, um, the extracellular matrix, I guess, ends up in there. And then the bottom layer is the stromal vascular fraction. We're primarily concerned about the pellet at the bottom. I hope you can see that darker area at the bottom and the you know, apex of that cone, if you will. That's what we're interested in. That last 10% from the rim down, that's primarily what we want. Um, that has most of the cells, and that really is the stromal vascular fraction that we want. And, uh, and the rest of that um, red may contain maybe 10% of it may contain bioactive cells, but um, we really want that pellet down at the bottom. So um, where, where do they come from? Where do these cells come from? A lot of arguments about that, but I think people are starting to agree that they reside in this perivascular location. We have these pericytes and these adventitial cells that surround the small you know, blood vessels and capillaries, the pericytes, and the adventitial cells around the larger blood vessels. And, uh, and some people are arguing, you know, are, they, are those stem cells themselves? Are they a progenitor cell themselves? Well, um, nobody's really arguing about the fact that we do get stem cells from that area. They've done some stains on these to show where they are. Um, I don't know how important that is. I really don't. I, I don't really know that us clinicians care a whole lot because we're using the whole pool of cells anyways. So we're using all of those cells together. Well, while they're residing in the fat, they're quiescent. They're in a dormant state. They're not repairing. So I get the question from colleagues all of the time, which is a good question, is why you know, why don't they go there themselves? Why do we have to take them out and digest them and send them there? And I don't know the answer to that yet. Um, I don't know why that happens. I mean, I know that they are activated after injuries. We know what's happening. We're understanding it better and better. But why is it that we have to help it along right now? And I don't know. Maybe there's a better way to help it along. We'll find out down the road. But right now, this is what we know to do, and this is working real well. Um, so here's the capabilities of these stem cells. 
they've been already differentiated in those fat stem cells, adipose-derived mesenchymal stem cells, have already in the lab been differentiated into all these tissues. Endothelium for blood vessels, fat for fat grafts and things like that, muscle, bone, heart muscle, liver, cartilage, neurons, pancreas. You know what, what the, the future holds when you see this. Pancreas, I think the holy grail would be helping the autoimmune disease called diabetes, type 1 diabetes. And uh, right now, I, I actually spoke to a doctor who's done some uh, prominent research in, in uh, diabetes, and he said, you know, we're able to regrow beta cells. We're able to get them to secrete insulin, insulin-secreting cells. We're able to do that now um, in vivo, not just in vitro. We're able to do it in vivo, and we're able to decrease the need for insulin for, in some cases, in some studies, up to five years, and actually um, not need insulin for five years. And, but the disease comes back. It hasn't cured the autoimmune disease. But if you're a type 1 diabetic, a five-year reprieve or a three-year reprieve or a two-year reprieve of insulin would be pretty good, especially when you could come back and retreat with your own cells, with adipose-derived stem cells. And, uh, and so um, this isn't going to be held at bay for much longer. There's a lot of people, thousands of researchers working on this. And uh, as this information comes out, it's going to become available whether it's here in the United States or whether we're going to have to travel and become a medical tourist, I don't know. I hope that's not the case. I, I really think it's going to be hard to hold therapies like this at bay. Um, but you know how much money some of these pharmaceutical companies have, so we'll see. Um, I'm voting for them making these available for all animals and, and, uh, and all people. That's what I'm voting for, letting the people decide with their doctors. But um, we'll see what happens. Anyway, separating this is pretty easy. We take the fat, we digest it a bit with some um, of this uh, enzymes that come in the kit. It makes it very, very easy. We wash the remaining cells, and then we start spinning them, and then we end up with this stromal vascular fraction that I showed you, and that contains the mesenchymal stem cells. So what happens when, when uh, you know, you have an injury? What attracts stem cells to, or to this region? Well, one of the things, hepatocyte growth factor, platelets. You know when you get a cut, platelets rush to that area and clot the area. Well, these platelets are cells, and when they rupture, they're filled with growth factors. We'll talk about that in a few slides down the road, but they're filled with growth factors. And a lot of these factors that are in the platelets will activate these stem cells or wake them up, if you will, and cause them to proliferate and, and, uh, and attract them to injuries. And hypoxia will cause it. Um, you know, you damage an injury and, and you get hypoxia to that bruised area. That will activate stem cells. That will cause them to move to an area of damage. So what happens when we get this damage? I'm going the wrong way. Where do they go? Well, they took this happened to be in, in mice, nude mice. Now, nude mice are without an immune system. These are genetically reared mice. And uh, so these were normal mice other than they didn't have their, new, their uh, immune system. So they injected them with these mice with a million adipose-derived mesenchymal stem cells. They were from humans. And they injected them through the tail vein. Then 75 days later, they, they sacrificed these mice and then went to look for the human DNA to see where these stem cells went. Well, you can see on this, there weren't very many in the peripheral blood or the bone marrow, but they were in the spleen, the pancreas, the kidney, the liver, the lung, in very high numbers, and that may be because these human stem cells were much larger and they got trapped there. Um, they were in the muscle. They were in the brain. They were in the heart. So this was the first piece of evidence that showed that, sh uh, showed that these stem cells could cross a normal blood-brain barrier. They ended up in the brain. So what happens when you have injury? So they found that when they did grafts, heart grafts, and some of these were done on rats, these were genetically reared rats, they labeled these stem cells, they injected them in, and they found that 
very few of these mesenchymal stem cells were found in the functional undamaged chart. They homed in on the damaged area. They knew where to go. They were like guided missiles going to the damaged area. And when they sacrificed these rats, guess what? There was new muscle repair. The infarcts were, were um, smaller. They were decreased. And this was a dramatic study. A friend of mine, when I was at a talk in New York, said he knew the authors of this study. And he said, but Mike, he said these stained cells were still stained when they sacrificed these rats and went in and looked at the heart muscle. And I, and I said, so? And he says, well, that means that they didn't turn into the, the new muscle. And I said, that's right. We used to think that um, these cells were turning into muscle. Remember I told you two years ago we thought different things. We thought these cells were differentiating into the new muscle. Well, now we believe that the majority of the effect is a paracrine effect, that these stem cells that we're injecting in are secreting factors that are attracting endogenous stem cells to come to the region and repair the damaged tissue. And you and I, so now we have a better understanding, and now they believe that that's over 90% of the effect. So now with that new understanding, um, it's not so important maybe how many stem cells we get into that area or how many um, uh, you know, of, the, of the original stem cells that we inject in. What's important is what they're secreting what they're doing to call to action the stem cells that are already in the body to come to that area and heal it. And that's pretty neat. This was done, I love showing this slide, because this was done on a human who agreed to have these cells labeled and injected into him. Now, his original condition was cerebellar atrophy. And anybody that knows somebody with cerebellar atrophy knows that you progressively get worse. You start with facial paralysis and, and loss of use of limbs, and it gets progressively worse. It doesn't get better. Excuse me. Sorry, I had to take a drink of water. But at any rate, it, you progressively get worse. Well, they labeled his cells and they injected them through his um, vein. Now, if you look at that blow-up image, this is a, an anterior view of him. So his left arm, you can see where the vein is, um, where the cells are being injected, that black line going up. Now, if you look at a, the smaller uh, portion, the anterior view, you can see the left and the right arm. Well, this man happened to have a trigger finger in his right finger, his right middle finger. And, uh, and that just happened to be another problem. Well, and he couldn't bend his finger anymore. I don't know if you, I don't remember the human name of that trigger finger, but there's a medical name for that. I just call it a trigger finger. But he couldn't bend that finger anymore. And, uh, and so when they injected the cells, you could see that they went to the lungs in high numbers, where the black is. You can see they went to the liver on, on, that, on that blown up view and on the uh, smaller views. You can see they went down through the ureters into the bladder, so it went through the, the kidney system. And, uh, and you could see that they homed in on that trigger finger in his right hand. They didn't home in on his left finger. They homed in on his right finger. Now, his orthopedist said that he had 12 calcifications in that finger that were preventing him from bending that finger, 12 calcifications. 30 days or 20-some days after the injection, he had three calcifications. The doctor, the orthopedist said, I don't know what happened. I'll just, I, I don't know how it happened. I'll just tell you what happened. So that was pretty neat. Now, and I can also get into cases where this was done in human or in animals, too, but where we reduced calcifications, the calcium salts were in joints and in tendons, but it's uh, pretty neat. Well, if you look at that, I want to see if it's on the next slide. No, it's not. If you look at that small figure, the anterior view, you can see at the base of the brain, the black there, well, these stem cells crossed an abnormal blood-brain barrier and went into the base of the brain, into the cerebellum, where you had that atrophy. You can see it on that one side. And this was pretty neat, too. Um, about 90 days after that, and this is just, um, I, was, I know the people that did this study, and I had spoken to them, and they said about 90 days later, his palsy started to improve. And I told you that was a progressively worsening disease. 
So I don't know the end of that story. I still haven't found out. I, I really have forgotten to ask, to be honest with you. But there was a um, – they still could give more cells to this man. That was just one treatment. And I think he got about a billion cells. And the way they labeled those cells, they don't damage the cells. They don't cause inflammation. They don't uh, decrease their secretions. Um, it's an FDA-approved process, so it was pretty neat. So what happens after these cells are injected into a damaged area, into a knee or whatever? Well, they can disperse into adjacent tissues. They can differentiate into component cell types, and they, or they can secrete a, you know, a whole bunch of growth factors and you know, this paracrine effect that I was talking about, and they can attract the, the growth of blood vessels towards them, which would facilitate new tissue formation. VGF, remember when I talked about that? They can secrete those things as well, vascular and cellular growth factor. So the immunomodulatory and anti-inflammatory effect that I told you, it's a profound immunosuppression. They inhibit the T-cell proliferation. It also um, helps stop this, the, the programmed cell death, the apoptosis. So it helps to regulate that apoptosis. So if you have a, a heart attack, and I'm just using this as an example because it's been shown, that programmed cell death might take after a heart attack about 14 days before you end up with a permanent infarct. Well, they took some cells and injected them in and could stop that apoptosis. They could actually reverse it. And uh, you see that um, this interleukin-1 receptor antagonist has probably one of the most potent anti-inflammatories in the body, um, that interleukin-1 receptor antagonist. It can secrete those, um, you know, that, that factor and, uh, and help reduce inflammation. So that's pretty neat. Hepatocyte growth factor. There's many things that they can secrete. Now, in this case, now this has been shown, a lot of people have, have argued about this. They go, well, where are the studies in dogs and cats? Well, they've shown cartilage, new cartilage regeneration in rabbits, goats, humans, laboratory animals, mini pigs, and uh, haven't shown it in dogs and cats yet because the money wasn't there and nobody did the studies yet. They're being done now as we speak. I've been talking about this. The studies aren't available yet. They're not done yet. But they're being done as we speak. But I say this to my colleagues. We're getting... This anti-inflammatory effect and this, this improvement in clinical signs in these animals for, on average, over a year, and a lot of these dogs that we're injecting and cats that we're injecting, over a year, we know that's not a Band-Aid effect. And you really believe if it's growing cartilage in goats, humans, rabbits, mini pigs, laboratory animals, that it's not growing cartilage in, in dogs and cats when we're getting, you know, that kind of lasting improvement? Um, I, we'll see, but I'm, my educated guess is that it is regenerating, regenerating cartilage, and I think we're going to find that out. So I was talking about the heart, you know, and w what's the function? We used to think that you say that, that damaged heart cell that is going through that programmed cell death of apoptosis, and uh, you have 14 days. Well, they injected stem cells in. Some of these stem cells went up and attached to that cell, that dying heart cell, heart muscle cell, and transferred their mitochondria into the dying heart cell, saving the, the heart cell. Literally like CPR, cell-to-cell -cell CPR, except the stem cell died. You get the picture. I mean, it's not truly CPR, but, but you, can, you can picture that. Well, we thought that was the primary effect, that we thought that's what was happening, is that it was stopping the cell death by doing things like that, like transferring the mitochondria and saving the cell. But we found out that that was just a very small function of what they do. What a lot of them are doing is they go in and they secrete chemokines and cytokines and exosomes and things that will help repair and stimulate the endogenous repair system to go in there and start rebuilding muscle and, and decreasing scar tissue. And, uh, and that's what's really exciting. So how do we identify what a stem cell is? How does MetaVet know that they're using stem cells and, uh, within the stromal vascular fraction? 
where the international community said you have to be able to show that they adhere to a flask. On the left here, you see them prior to culture, those nice, beautiful round cells. And then on the left, you see they kind of take on a fibroid appearance, if you will. Uh, but that's showing that they adhere to a flask. That's one thing that they have to do. Now, this is what the definition is today. I think this is going to change. I think there's a lot of cells. There, I, I don't think this. I've actually learned this, that there are a lot of cells that don't adhere to the flask that still have stemness, that still have the ability to differentiate and secrete um, these, these chemokines and cytokines. And they don't adhere to a flask. But in this case, they, they want to show that they adhere to a flask. So there you go. They also want to show that they differentiate into bone, fat, and cartilage. And, uh, and all of this has been demonstrated by using different stains with our stem cells. So if you look at it, it adheres to the flask on top, and then we can show that it differentiates into bone, that these stem cells are differentiating into fat under the right conditions or cartilage under the right conditions. And all that's been shown. The other thing is, if you remember the CD markers, these cell differentiation markers on the cell surface, um, we can take that cell and we can mark it with a fluorescent tag. You remember this when we did, you know, immunofluorescence in, in, in veterinary school, or you might recall it. But at any rate, we can put them through a flow cytometer one through one, hit them with a laser after they've been tagged with these fluorescent tags, and, uh, and we can hit them with a laser and cause them to fluoresce. And then we can identify the different cell types based on their CD markers those cell differentiation markers. And you have to be able to show that the right populations of markers are there, and that's what we've done with our, with our cells. We're going to be publishing, and it's going to be in the January issue, if you haven't seen it already, it's in the January issue of the, um, the uh, Veterinary Practice News magazine, and, uh, and it will show that study, and that'll be available on the website for, um, for your view as well, that Dr. Don Cohen did. Um, I assisted them in, in some of the work, um, collecting some of the uh, the fat, and so have um, some other veterinarians. But it was a uh, it was completely blinded to him, and he did the work. And this is a man that has um, over 30, I think, over 35 years. He's a cell biologist, and and uh, and told me I asked him how confident he was in the work that he had done on this, and uh, and he said he'd put his reputation on the line for it. He says all 35 years, he knows what he's seeing, and it's pretty neat. So that'll be available soon. Well, when we get these cells, there's, there's companies that say activation is important, and that's what we're going to prove it is important. But the way to activate these cells or wake them up, remember I told you they're dormant or sleeping, we have to be able to get them to wake up and do their job. So we can do this through the PRP, the platelet-rich plasma. We can add that to the pellet, and we can also add a low-level laser light, and that's all part of the Medivet technology. Now. The stromovascular fraction I talked about is a multipotent cell pool that has a lot of anti-inflammatory effects within it, has a lot of bioactive peptides, and it has all of these um, peptides that contribute to reformation in, in the organization of new tissue, and, and they work in harmony. So nobody quite understands exactly how they work together, but we know that they work together, and that's a good thing. They're coming from the body. So we use the fat and the stromovascular fraction because we want that benefit. And the, the stromovascular fraction has been analyzed quite a bit, and uh, you can read about these, and there's a lot of different marker cells in there, progenitor cells. There's a whole pool of progenitor cells, endothelial progenitor cells. So you know that progenitor cells are predestined to become a blood vessel, and uh, so why not use them? And then we know that PRP, platelet-rich plasma, has a lot of growth factors, and there's tons of literature on this. It's been used in humans since the late 1800s. But there's vital growth factors and there's these biofactors that wake up the stem cells or activate them and cause them to proliferate and, uh, and discrete things. 
and they've shown this in different studies, and this is a study where they cut off rabbit joints. They did this at uh, Columbia University Medical Center. They cut off the uh, this rabbit joint um, in laboratory rabbits, and uh, and they went, and I believe this was the carpus joint, and they went in and they, they created a 3D matrix where they used um, a 3D dimension of an absorber. Well, it's almost like a suture material, um, as you see in that top picture, and they reconstructed the joint exactly as it was. <clears throat> they put it in there, and they, they painted it with growth factor. And you see the third one down, that the one with the growth factor actually started to form new bone and cartilage, new cartilage on this. And the one without the growth factor, and the second one down, um, didn't really produce that much, some scar tissue, but it didn't even close it up. And the fourth one down is the actual joint that was taken out. Those ones that had the growth factor painted onto it were able to hop like the rabbits of similar weights in six weeks and uh, replace the joint that was cut out with this matrix, 3D matrix, um, which also had the growth factors added to it, which stimulated endogenous stem cells. So we harvest these platelets very easily. We take the blood samples, spin them down. It's all within the kit. Lots of publications on PRP, all of the good things in PRP. Um, you see the second one from the top is a TB4, thymus and beta 4. Um, controls T-cell maturation and makes damaged cells repair themselves. So there's a lot of great things in PRP itself, a lot of anti-inflammatory and pro-inflammatory um, products that will start that cascade of healing. And uh, we also know that various frequencies of light can stimulate stem cells, photobiostimulation or modulation. We used to think just the retina would accept light, but now anyone using lasers knows that there's a lot of cells in our body that have chromophores or, or, or cells that will absorb light and, and increase the activity and start to increase the cellular energy, the ATP, and start that progression of healing much quicker. And um, that's been shown many times. Anyone that uses these class 4 lasers has already seen that. So they did this. They implanted low-level laser irradiated mesenchymal stem cells into rat um, damaged hearts, infarcted rat hearts, and they found that they got a reduction of infarct size and an enhanced angiogenesis, and it was dramatic compared to the ones that didn't get the low-level laser radiation. And Adistem, that's the light that we use in Medivet, it's the patent technology, found that there's three different wavelengths, two in the green, one in the yellow, two in the red, different frequencies and wavelengths that stimulate adipose-derived mesenchymal stem cells. And, uh, and they're not using the wavelengths that don't stimulate them or that inhibit them, like inhibit stem cell proliferation, like blue light, which is anti-infective. So combining, using to control to see how many cells will proliferate, 48 hours, using a control, they showed that the laser would stimulate the cells dramatically, the PRP would stimulate the cells dramatically, but when you combine the PRP and laser, they complemented each other, and you got a better effect or a complementary effect on stimulating these cells. So that's why Medivet technology uses this combined platelet-rich plasma and laser photobiostimulation. Um, to activate these stem cells. And there's a lot of evidence on light activation of cells. Um, they've shown on humans with cerebral palsy using these labeled, FDA-approved labels, um, before and afters with activated and non-activated cells and found that the activated cells um, reached the area damaged area in the brain in much higher concentration. So another uh, exhibition of um, these stem cells crossing a, a damaged blood-brain barrier. They also have shown in the lab that they will grow more cells in culture, that if you activate them with PRP and photobiostimulation, that you're going to end up with 2,000% more stem cells in eight days than if you didn't activate these stem cell colonies and just grew them, and that's very easy to demonstrate. So in summary, 
The adipose tissue is an excellent source of stem cells. The stromal vascular fraction provides this multi-potent source of cells and all these bioactive peptides. And then adding the PRP and the photobiostimulation will increase the proliferation of these canine stem cell colonies. And the technology is, is now available, and we have it. It's Medivet um, technology, Medivet America, and it's leading the world. It's leading world technology, my strong opinion. And I travel, like I said, the six continents, talking to PhDs, MDs, and veterinarians from all over the world about their technologies and this technology. And, uh, and this is why it's now in 27 countries. So I hope this is helpful, and I wanted to leave some time to answer some questions. I probably went a little bit longer than I had anticipated, um, and I apologize for that. It was just my first time, so I'm doing this in, in this kind of forum. And I don't get any interaction of your faces, so it's a little bit harder for me. But um, any questions, um, you know, please feel free to speak up. Okay, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you. Can you get me off speaker? Where you can try it on the speaker again and, and maybe just speak up a little bit louder. I'm sorry to, to have interrupted you. I know somebody's trying to get a question to me, um, and I apologize. It's a I went over that real fast. I'm sorry. If, if there's any chance that you can type it in, if you're on the web. Um, pretty easy to use that um, text messaging thing there and it can type in a question. I'll do my best. So you don't worry about spelling. The last thing I want to do is uh, stop somebody from asking a question. So I'm just hanging on here to see if you can figure out a way to get that question to me. Um, anyone else want to speak up? Any questions, comments? Well, I hope this was helpful. I want to let you know that um, the best way to contact me, I will be doing this, we'll have this weekly, and uh, and I prefer to, to, to talk about any questions that you have on the webinar um, because I'm available and you're available and it would be a great time to talk about it. It makes it easier. But if you have something that's urgent and your distributor can't answer it, um, you can get a hold of me at drmike at animalgeneral.net. Just D-R-M-I-K-E at animalgeneral.net. Um, you know, I ask if you can hold off till the Wednesdays, that would be easier on me, but I um, certainly want to help you if you have a question and you weren't able to get it on here or you didn't think of it yet because you haven't done a case yet. But if there's a uh, any questions that we can help with, this is what I'm here for. Um want to encourage you to use this. I've done almost 500 cases now. I know the, the advertisement says 400, but include, including the re-injects, I, I think I'm nearing 500 or probably past 500. And uh, and I, I have learned a lot through all of those cases and am happy to share it with anybody because I think that's what it's all about is uh, sharing what we're seeing. Um, there's a lot of human people that, that want to find out what we're doing in the animal world, a lot of researchers that are working on very small animals and they want to see what we're doing on larger animals and what kind of results we're getting. Just observations because they're the researchers that might go on and figure it out. And, uh, and it's pretty neat to see, like in the Atopy case, when you treat a dog that has horrible lesions on its body and nothing else is really working. The standard of care isn't really working well. 
and they tried cyclosporine on the dog. He topped on the dog and for three months, and the dog, poor dog um, was cockapoo, four years old, four and a half years old, and the poor dog just had horrible GI side effects. And, uh, and when this um, person, this, these owners, asked the dermatologist to diagnose the atopy um, about stem cells, they'd heard about stem cells, the dermatologist said, if it were working, I would have heard about it. And, uh, and I don't know what caused those people to come to me even after they heard that. They told me that's what the dermatologist told them. And uh, I don't know what caused them to come to me and still want to try it. And I told them that we could try a compassionate use trial, and based on other cases that um, the owners were willing to talk to them as well, but based on other cases, um, I was fairly optimistic that we could help the quality of life for that dog and, and not do any harm. And, uh, and I said, but I couldn't guarantee it. Of course I couldn't guarantee it. I think we ended up with five or six bank vials on this dog. And, uh, and based on uh, previous cases that I have treated with stem cells, we have gotten dogs to go 17 months. And right now I have a dog currently going 19 months past the protocol without further treatment. And uh, that's pretty neat stuff. I'm not claiming that we're curing it. I don't believe we are. I think it's kind of like the diabetes that the immune system is eventually going to come back and create problems. But the nice thing is, is we have five bank vials, and we're ready for it if it comes back, at least to help, try to help. So it's, uh, if there aren't any questions, I'm going to end this session a little bit early. Hey, Mike. Yes. This is Larry. Hey, I, I wanted, to, wanted to point out uh, in Dr. Cohen's article, and I, I think most people probably have it. I think I got my copy the first of this week. I think most people probably have that. Uh, you might want to point out the the the, the Medivet technology and the cells, the number of cells that they're extracting. And at the bottom of that chart, they also list Company V and Company S, which are the main competitors, and the difference in the number of cells coming out. And I think both of us agree that this is all about cell numbers as far as effectiveness. And certainly this study brings that really sharply in focus for us. Well, I, I, I have, I'm privy to a little more information um, that Dr. Cohen has, uh, has done since then. And, yes, for all of those listening, I used, um, and I'll just say it because I did, I did um, probably 80 to 85 of the previous technology, um, the vet stem, when it first came out, and had good results. When I switched over to MetaVet technology, I personally validated it. I was given the, the, the tools to validate it independently. And I did that through a major university that was working with stem cells. And so for me, it was a case of one, but I can look all of you in the eye and tell you when I validated it, we were not only getting higher cell numbers, and this was with the first generation of this MetaVet technology, we're not only getting higher cell counts, um, comparing apples to apples, we were getting less death rate. We are getting better viability. And, uh, and that was huge. We were getting up to, I mean, on a sample that I tested personally on vet stem that sent back to me, and uh, took it in and had the same people counting it, um, counting. I wasn't the one that counted. It was uh, professionals that were counting it in terms of um, experienced professionals. And uh, they got up to 40.99% cell death on samples that I got back. And it still worked. But 40, um, almost 41% of the cells were dead. And uh, so Dr. Cohen did an update of that with our newest technology, with our newest generation technology with Medivet, and compared it to the leading competitors. And that's going to be published. That's going to be published for everybody to read. And uh, you can um, imagine who the leading competitors are out there. Um, there's that STEM and there's STEM logic. And you're going to see the comparisons, apples to apples. And why I'm going around the world talking about this, and I've always said this, and I make a promise to everybody, 
if a better technology comes out that's available for us to use in our animals and it's as affordable as this technology is, I will switch to it in a heartbeat because I owe that to the animals. I took, a, I took an oath. And I am proud to be using this MetaVet technology, especially in light of um, the new research that's coming out. It literally blows away the competition, literally. And anybody that sees it, you always want to make um, a decision based on science, and I understand that. And uh, now the science is done, and, uh, and it's getting published. And that's just the first phase of it, Larry. It is not just about the cell numbers. That's a very important part. If you want to use cell numbers, there's no comparison even there. But um, it's about what these cells are secreting. And wait till you see that, Larry. It's, uh, it's really exciting. And, uh, and what they're secreting is, uh, is, is, is real exciting to me for the future because we may be able to soon isolate some of those, those secretions and use them for very specific therapies. And, uh, and that excites me to no end because as we go further, and Medivet's going to be at the leading edge of this, and as we go further, that's their commitment. And uh, they're just as excited. When I hear about something going on in the, around the world and I share it with them, the, the first thing that comes out of Jeremy Delk's mouth is, uh, um, do you think it's something that we need to, to look into? And it's the first question he asks. And uh, is it something that we need to look into? And, uh, and, it's a, and if I'm excited about it, they're already looking into it. So it's, a, uh, it's just that kind of company, and it's really exciting to be part of it, and it's exciting to, to, to share it and see the research as it comes out. I've been talking about this for two years, and this year I'm going to be showing new research. And, uh, and it's, it's real exciting. It's only validating what we already knew clinically. You know, at the end of the day, to everybody listening, clinical response is what we're judging it by. I mean, do we get a clinical response or not? Does it work or not? And for another company to come up and suggest that this technology is fraud or fraudulent is saying to us that it doesn't work. And, and anybody that's used it knows better, knows way better that how well it works. 155 cases that were published, um, five veterinarians across the United States, 155 osteoarthritis cases, 99% of the animals responded. 99%. This, this technology is fraudulent? I don't think so. And, uh, and so at the end of the day, that's what we care about, us clinicians, is clinical response because we want our patient to get better and feel better and have a better quality of life. And, uh, and then therefore, the owners are happy and we're happy, and that's what I call that win-win-win. But it's nice to see the science come out and support what we're seeing, and that's what's happened, and it's dramatic, and it's a dramatic difference. And, uh, you know, I just say I, I'm, uh, if I were on the other teams, I would start getting the research dollars out and try to see what it is that Medivet's doing and see if it can be copied because <laughs> it works. But at any rate, thank you for tuning in. Um, I know there's a couple minutes left if anybody has a comment or question. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Next week, they'll send you an email to what we're going to talk about. Probably every sixth week, where I'm going to go over this science again because there's going to be new users that want to hear it. And if you've heard it, you may want to hear it again or you may not want to hear it. And, yes, we will update it from time to time as we get um, the science to put in there. But um, stay tuned. It's really exciting, and it's uh, an exciting year, and uh, we're going to have the science behind us to prove everything that we're saying, which is pretty neat. So uh, I'll, I'll talk to you soon, and, and thank you for tuning in. And, again, Happy New Year to everybody. Happy New Year, Mike. All right. Take care.